push in Virginia. There was a push by the state senate to basically in, expand the abortion law to where you could even have an abortion in the, the day on, on your your on the day of birth, in, including during dilation. Basically, it legalized infanticide. And the thing is, not only was this was this bill it was this bill pushed in the Senate. But the governor said that if this goes to the Senate and goes to the House, he said that he would sign it. He said that he would be okay with it. Excuse me. Oh, well. He said that he would sign off on it. And so, my goodness, what is happening right now? I don't think the Lord wants me to talk about this. Okay, let's try this again. Okay, so he said that he, said that he would... So, like, look, this is like our country. These governors here are pro-infanticide. These governors here are clearly against pro, the pro-life cause. And this kind of this party of people who continues to assert that this is a fundamental right. In fact, that's the why Cardinal Dolan has come out and said that the Democratic Party has slammed the door shut on devout Catholics. It's because of reasons like this. It doesn't allow us to really partake in it. And so the question that often comes, especially whenever you know, these big news stories hit, is... What are we living in the end times? Are we living in, in a time whenever the apocalypse is about to strike? Which is a fair question. And as a priest, I'll tell you, yes, 100%. We're living in the end times. Jesus can come in five minutes. Repent or else, all this stuff. I'm totally, I'm totally on the side. Fire and brimstone, baby. Like, get ready. Okay, the end is near. 100%. I look, that is how Jesus preached that. So I'm going to preach, yes, we are living in the end times. That answers your question, right? But I'm not saying that because of the catastrophe that's happening. I'm saying that because Jesus time and time and time again said that he would come like a thief in the night. There'd be no sign, there'd be no forewarning, there'd be nothing. So yes, we're living in the end times because Jesus can come at any time. So treat this day as your last. That's what he always encouraged us to do anyway. On the other hand, that being said, we look at today's world and, you know, to, to conclude that because things are so bad now, we're clearly living in the end times. That's actually not true. You know, we look at things, things like, we look at things now and we have a tendency to think, oh yeah, yes, things have never been so bad. Oh, life's terrible. This, that, and the other. But I would argue that that's Actually, the time that we live in now isn't nearly as bad as it was in pagan times. I'll give you an example. Caesarea Philippi. Maybe you've heard of Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is a key place in the gospel. It's where Jesus took his 12 apostles and asked the question, who do you say that I am? And in Caesarea Philippi, what's interesting is that that was a place of a, of a bunch of pagan temples. The biggest one of which was known as the pagan temple to Pan, the god of the world, and the fertility god. Now, Pan and the temple of Pan was very interesting. Because behind the temple of Pan was this massive cave. And inside this cave, it was known as the cave of Pan, there was a huge abyss. Josephus, the Jewish historian, writes that this abyss went all the way down to the center of the earth. It was immeasurable. No cord was long enough to possibly see the distance in the bottom of this, of, this, of this pit. And from this pit flowed water. And they said this water was the source of the River Jordan. And that this pit, this abyss, was the gates to hell. That this was the opening to Hades right here in this spot. 
And in, so in order to appease the god Pan, who have apparently yet lived in Hades, what they would do is they would take their children, they would take infants, they would take victims, and throw them into the pit. And depending upon how the blood flowed out of the pit, or through the river, or whatnot, depended upon whether or not Pan accepted the sacrifice. Child sacrifice, right there, in the Roman Empire, in what we now call the Holy Land. And that was the place where Jesus founded the Catholic Church. It'd be like going to a modern-day abortion clinic and founding the Catholic Church right there. That was the place where he looked at his apostles and said, Who do people say that I am? Some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you are Elijah. But who do you say that I am? And Peter stepped up. And he said, You are the Christ, Son of the living God. And the Lord looked at him and said, You are Peter. You are rock. And upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell, I can only imagine he was pointing to the cave of Pan, will not prevail against it. Abortion will not prevail against it. Infanticide will not prevail against it. Bloodshed against innocent people will not prevail against this message. Will not prevail against this message. And yet, how much... How, how, how similar is that situation to the situation we're in now? Jesus called the 12 apostles, and let's be honest, the 12 apostles weren't exactly, you know, your all-star team of dudes. And they had their own problems and their own struggles. Many people would argue that that's the case of the priesthood and the bishops today. I mean, look, I agree. I'm one of them. I mean, it's a fact. But we're still here. The other argument is, look, we're losing a lot of battles. We lost the, we lost the war on you know same sex marriage. We lost the the, the battle. About, it looks like we're losing the battle on transgenderism. We lost the battle on abortion, contraception, pretty much everything. It almost seems like the Catholic Church is behind the times. It's constantly a church of losers. Well, let's be honest. Christianity wasn't even legal until three thirteen. For the third, first three hundred years, the church was constantly being oppressed and constantly not allowed to speak her voice. They're constantly losing. So, what's the question? What's the good news? All right, so that's a great question. Thank you for asking. The good news is that this is exactly the environment where we thrive. This is the environment where prophets are made, where saints are, are grown. And we can see that very clear in our first reading. In our first reading, the prophet Jeremiah is told by the Lord, Before I formed you in your womb. In, excuse me, not your womb. That would be weird. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I dedicated you. A prophet to the nations, I appointed you. And this is what he said. I, this day I have made you a fortified city, a pillar of iron, a wall of brass against the whole land, against Judah's kings and princes and priests and people. Just like Jesus was in the gospel today. Against all of his family, against all of his friends. That's what Jeremiah was like. He was called to preach against the culture of death that surrounded him, against the ideology that surrounded him. And that was the commission of the Lord. And yet, he had some reassurance. He was told by the Lord that they will fight against you. The culture will come after you, but will not prevail over you. For I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. I am with you to fight with you. And that's what the Lord is telling every single one of us today. That he's here with us to fight, us, fight with us on this journey. 
that he's an ally in this war to maintain that innocent life deserves to live. But that leads to another question, doesn't it? If the Lord is an ally and we're called to fight, how do we do so? How do we effectively wage a war against a culture with that, that seems to be so pervasive? A culture that seems to have so much power and a message with a message that seems to have so much power, so much money, and so much influence. So here's five ways in which we can effectively fight. First way is if we're gonna really fight, we're gonna need to prepare. In fact, I would argue 90% of all fighting begins in preparation. Whether you're talking about football, whether you're talking about the Marine Corps, whether you're talking about the Navy SEALs, either way, if you want to win a battle, you've got to prepare. You've got to prepare in the weight room, you've got to prepare on the track, you've got to watch film, you've got to discuss battle tactics, you've got to work and prepare. And so my encouragement to you guys is whenever it comes to being pro-life in today's culture of death, it's going to be a matter of knowing your stuff. It's going to be a matter of knowing the science behind it. It's going to be a matter of understanding what exactly the church of the church teaches. When, when are certain exceptions allowed to be made and when, when does the church hold firm in her stances? It's key. Training. Preparation. The second point in this is, is if we're really going to effectively fight this, we have to maintain a principle of preservation. Preservation. This seems a little weird, but I want to point out to the, I want to basically point out the image of, the, of first responders. If we, can think, if we can look at the world and say, look, the world's on fire. It's, it's absolutely awful. Going to hell in a handbasket, whatever phrase you want to well, put it in. We have to put the fire out, even though we didn't start the fire. I know, I had to do the corny joke. Sorry about that. Okay, so even though we didn't start it, we have to put it out. It's our job. But what do we have to do? We have to maintain ourselves first. Every first responder will tell you that their safety comes first. Absolutely first, because if they go down, the whole operation goes down. There's no chance that this person is going to be saved. It's the same thing applies to us. We cannot lose our souls in this fight. We cannot lose our souls in this battle. Yes, you can die in martyr. That's fine. But do not lose your soul in the process. Case in point, don't lose your soul watching Fox News. All right? Don't lose your soul watching the mainstream media. It's not going to help you. If you watch the news and it's leading you astray and it's not making you holier and it's not making you prayerful, cut it out. It's not worth it. You're not going to help us in this fight, so just drop that, that cause. This is the third thing is if we are going to engage in a fight, if we are going to actually engage in conflict and try and talk somebody into reasoning with it, you've got to use their arguments. You've got to listen to them. We got to hear what they're saying and get to know exactly their points to a T. And once we use their arguments, the best way to overthrow them or convince the errors in their ways is to explain how they're contradictory. How abortion actually doesn't lead to greater freedom. How abortion doesn't actually lead to greater happiness. How it doesn't actually lead to any greater joy. It actually only leads to greater enslavement. That's going to be the best way to fight. It's not going to be a matter of saying abortion's a mortal sin or you're going to be excommunicated or this, that, and the other, all of which is true, and I agree, and I'm not saying that. But that's just not going to speak to the culture of death these days because they just don't care about the, the, those issues. They don't care about sin or excommunication or anything like that. So we've got to use their values. We've got to use their arguments. Fourth thing is to remember that, the, that a loss in the eyes of the world is a win in the eyes of heaven. Remember our 8th and ninth Beatitudes. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of righteousness. Blessed are you whenever people, whenever people persecute you and utter insults against you and utter all kinds of words and, and are vile and, 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 and stone you and all this other stuff. For so was done to you, was done to the prophets before you. Your reward will be great in heaven. Remember, the world despised me before they despised you. And so if we take a stance that will kind of lead to our unpopularity, so be it. So be it. That's a, probably a good thing. That means that we're part of the blessed. That means we can be part of the ranks of, of saints and angels. That means that we're actually on the side of Christ. So even if we're losing this battle, it's not that big of, I mean, it is a big deal, but it's nothing to get to, it's nothing to be, become sad about. The fifth, the fifth thing, whenever it comes to fighting this war, don't worry about the future. Don't worry about the future. This is one of the great problems of Catholicism, not Catholicism, this is one of the great problems of us Catholics. As we look at how, you know, the way things are going, and we're like, oh my gosh, things are terrible, what am I going to do? Ah! We like lose our minds about it. The fact of the matter is, is that that's exactly what Satan wants us to do. If you ever read the Screwtape Letters, brilliant book, it's all about how Satan tempting, Satan tempting this, this young man. And basically the premise is you have a, an, an uncle demon coaching his nephew demon. The nephew demon's Wormwood, and the uncle's Screwtape. So Uncle Screwtape talks to Wormwood, and he goes, My dear Wormwood, if you would like to get your human to the pits of hell, whatever you do, don't let him think about the present. Have him think about the past. He goes on. I'm, I'm not going to do the voice anymore. But <laughs> he goes on to say that, the, that you have him think about the past, but the fact of the matter is the past is frozen. It can't move. It's done. It's like that's all you got. It's the past of the past. It's done. It's, like a, it, it's stone. What he does say, though, is that if you really want to get your human to hell, have him think about the future. Because the future doesn't exist the future is, is the only thing that really is, 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 is time-like in, the, in, in terms of time because it's totally nebulous. It's a giant black void. Anything could happen. But nothing's actually happened. The future does not exist. The only things that exist whenever it comes to life in general are two things, the present moment and eternity. And really the present moment is just whenever time kisses eternity. That's it. The present moment and eternity. Which means that if we're, going to be making, if we're going to be fighting the fight now, we need to fight in ways that benefit us now and for eternity. Not simply, you know, not simply just avoiding the, the catastrophe of the future, but things that are actually going to get us to heaven right here, right now, for eternity. So don't worry about what's to come. Don't worry about the apocalypse. Don't worry about all that other stuff. You know, the, you know, the, 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 impending, you know, the impending wave of, of liberalism that's going to sweep us all away. Don't worry about any of that stuff. Just focus on what the Lord is calling you to do right here, right now. Be a faithful Catholic and all will be okay. At the end of the day, guys, this is not, this is a big deal. But at the same time, it's nothing to lose hope over. Because the Lord has assured us that the gates of hell will not prevail. And in fact, that happened. In the 19th century, there was an earthquake at Caesarea Philippi. And that cave, that abyss, that place where Pan absorbed so many child sacrifices was covered up. The top of the cave collapsed on that hole. 
and it can't be seen anymore to this day. It just looks like a pit of rocks, which goes to show that the Lord is in charge, that the future is in his hands, not ours. And so we can definitely rest assured, knowing full well that he will be with us on this fight, and he will never, ever forsake us. Amen.